And this morning that we serve a God who can work even in the midst of difficult times. And I'm so glad that even times, oftentimes I look at difficulty and adversity and I see bad things, but I serve a God who can take something that's bad and make something good out of it. And even the things we're uncertain about, a lot of things in our world right now we're not sure about what's going on and wondering who's trying to do this and who's trying to accomplish that. And I'm just glad that even though man can do his best at uh, trying to make his will come to pass, that ultimately God's going to make sure his will is what wins out in the end of the day. And I'm thankful that we can be assured that God's working in all that we're going through. Uh, I tell you, I was thinking a moment ago, that it's not often that a preacher looks out from the platform and sees a low crowd and is excited about it. Uh, but I was excited about it this morning. Uh, the close calls that we've had with this virus over the last nine months. Uh, I have, uh, I've encouraged more people to stay home than I ever have in 25 years of ministry. Uh, normally I tell folks, hey, you know, just suck it up. Make it to church, all right? It's just a hangnail or something like that. You'll be all right. You can make it. Uh, and yet with this virus, we've had to take it a little bit more seriously and had to wave off a few services. And as I told you last week, I feel like I need to apologize, but I promise I did it for uh, the good of our church and the health of our people. And it was just last week that I was speaking with a good friend of mine. He was telling me about his home church uh, and how they, and I'm not meaning to talk down on them, did not take the virus as seriously as they should. And they had in, uh, individuals who had had close contact with it, brought it into the church. And in less than a week, they lost two of their church members as a result of it. And so that is something that I don't want on my mind or my conscience. So I've taken it very seriously. We have to live with these decisions. I hope that you didn't mind watching through the live stream. And I hope that you did tune in and pay close attention to what the Lord wants to give us even through that. And I do want to welcome those that are watching this morning. I know about half of our people are home today just out of precaution. And Lord willing, we'll get past this before too terribly long. But one thing for sure, uh, we're finding out just how serious we are about serving God. We're having to serve God in different formats. We're having to serve God in different ways, maybe ways we'd not prefer. Uh, but we're learning about how serious we are at serving him. And no matter how we have to do it, let's make sure we're faithful to do it. And we've worked very hard over the last nine months to make sure we keep our church safe. So let's be sure that we do our part to look after one another and take this thing as seriously as possible because I want us to all come back after this is all said and done. Take your Bibles out this morning. Turn to John chapter number 21. John chapter number 21. <clears throat> I do want to remind you about what Brother Nate had mentioned. Today is our Thanksgiving offering. I hope you've been praying about what to give. And we want to make sure we give our teachers, Brother Heath over there at the school, the tools they need to do the work that we would uh, love to see done. And uh, so we've got to make sure we give them what they need to have those tools. And I'm excited about this Thanksgiving offering. And uh, we're going to try to do this twice a year for our school. Don't forget, next week we'll begin our series on a season of hope. And uh, obviously yesterday we did not have many go out because of the virus concerns. But those that did go out, I think they hit over 250 doors yesterday. So I appreciate you, those that were able to go, uh, that went out. And we're going to see fruit from that because God honors his word. And if we'll go, God's going to honor that. And we're going to see people be saved. We've already seen many saved because of that. We're going to see people come. And so uh, you be sure to be here for that. And I'm going to encourage you. We're going to put out a virtual invitation this week where you can share it on your social media pages. Be sure those you have invited already, those that you want to see come, uh, that you be sure to give them a reminder throughout this week, and I'm looking forward to a great day. That's one of the reasons we tried to be cautious this week and last week with this virus, uh, that next week we could all be back together. If we, if we did our part uh, and stayed away while we needed to stay away, we could be back here on this upcoming Sunday for a big day for our new series. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's jump into the scripture this morning, John 21. 
one, remain seated if you don't mind, and look down, if you will, to about verse number 15. We're reading after the resurrection of Christ, and this morning we're going to read about the third time that he appeared unto his disciples, and the disciples are a little bit dismayed at what's going on, trying to figure out what this new world is going to be like without the personal presence of their Savior. Finally, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Uh, That's not bad advice for any day of the week, is it? We don't know what to do, just go fishing. And that's what Peter did. The other disciples went with them. Uh, We know the story where they had caught nothing, and then Christ tells them to cast their net on the other side. Uh, They catch the fish. They bring them to shore where Christ is waiting on them. He tells them in verse number 12 of John 21, come and dine. The Bible says they came to him, and they had eaten this meal together, and then a conversation ensues with Peter. And we're going to read several verses this morning. I want you to pay close attention to what happens here in the life of Peter because there's something very applicable for us today in the time that we're living. The Bible says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Peter, verse 15, saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And notice the Bible says Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Let's stop there and let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you for the privilege to be back in your house and for those that are able to come. Lord, I thank you for those that are able to watch my live stream, and Lord, it's not the way we prefer things today, but I believe it's the way you'd have things done to keep our people safe. Now, Father, I believe your word is just as quick and powerful, uh, whether we're in person or over the live stream, which we have to be right now, and Father, I pray that you'd bless your word as it goes out today. Uh, Lord, there's a lot on my heart, Lord, this message, you've given me so much that's on my mind and my heart, and I just want to present what you'd have us to present in a way that you'd have us to present it. I pray now your Holy Spirit would have its will and way. I pray that right now the cares of of our life and our times that we're living in would be set aside just for the next few minutes, and we allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that he desires to do through this message. And I pray that come invitation time, that, Father, we would receive your word, we'd respond to it. Lord, we'd allow our hearts, our lives, our minds to be changed today by your word, that we'd leave here differently that we leave here walking closer to you, more like Christ, and a greater witness because of the obedience we're going to uh, do towards your word today. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of hard to believe this morning that it is almost the end of 2020. And that's something I think we're probably all excited about. 
And I'll be honest, I'm not of the mindset and naive enough to believe that at the stroke of midnight on December 31st, everything's going to change and everything's going to be over. Uh, but at least 2020 will be over, Lord willing, and he tears at the end of December 31st here in just a few days. It's hard to believe that this year's almost over. And for about nine months of this year, we have lived in this constant state of confusion and this constant state of chaos. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not one who really believes in participation trophies, okay? Uh, that's just my mindset. It's the way I was raised. I, I don't think you ought to get a trophy just for showing up, you know? I think there's too many people in our world today who have that mindset that they think they ought to get a trophy just for showing up and being there. And that's why our, our fast food industry is in the shape that it's in in America, because people should just get paid for showing up. Amen? Amen. I believe so. Uh, but I do believe if I was ever to be convinced that participation trophies were necessary... Uh, I think 2020 would be a good reason to give everybody a participation trophy just for surviving 2020 with all that we've had going on. Uh, 2020, our heads have had to be on a swivel. We have constantly been turning to this concern and that concern and this calamity and that calamity and this problem and that problem, and one thing after another has come our way. And as a pastor, I want to share with you my heart this morning. My burden has been for the last really nine months, eight months we've gone through this, uh, my burden has been that as we go through and experience all of these concerns of life, that we would not neglect the concerns of our Lord. Uh, because even though we go through these difficult times in our life, these different seasons of our life, the will of God must still continue, and the calling of God remains upon our life and upon our church. And if you're not careful, we go through these difficult seasons, we get distracted by them. And we get so distracted by what's going on in our world, we forget what's going on in the whole world, and we neglect to do what God's called us to do. It reminds me of a story that I read once about a man who decided he wanted a waterbed. Anybody ever owned a waterbed in here? Some of you folks back from the 60s, 70s, amen. That was kind of a fad thing back then, wasn't it, in the good old days? I've never had one. Uh, maybe you have to venture out in that. Our young people are thinking, what is a waterbed? Uh, it's actually a water bed. It's a balloon of water that you put sheets on and you sleep on, and I'm assuming you just enjoy the waves throughout the night. I've never slept on one. I think I'd like to see exactly how that works, but there was a gentleman, he decided he wanted one. I guess it was back during the golden age of water beds, back in the 70s, maybe, maybe in the 80s. And so he bought one and got it filled up with water and is sleeping on it the first night and wakes up about 2 o'clock the first morning laying in a puddle of water. Begins thinking to himself, man, this thing has a hole in it. He pulls off the sheets and begins looking, trying to find where the hole is in his waterbed. He can't find the hole, so he decides, you know what, the best thing to do is hook up the water hose to it, siphon the water out, take it outside, fill it back up with water, and that way I can find the hole in it. So he did just that, takes it outside, hooks the water hose up, turns the faucet on, and it starts to fill up this giant blob of water in his yard. I think I'd just like to see that, to be honest with you. And after a while, it began to fill up, and it filled up, and it filled up, and it was almost full. Gravity began to take effect because he didn't realize he was filling up the waterbed, the, the bladder of it there on the side of a hill. Next thing you know, that big old blob, that big old bag of water begins to uh, feel the full effects of gravity and begins slowly tumbling down the hill and like a blob easing down the hill, and it crashes into a, 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 a brush uh, patch that was there. Uh, a briar patch, if you will, and pokes holes all in his, in his waterbed. He says, you know what, that's enough for me. He says, I forget this. This is too much trouble. This is too much maintenance. And he throws out the waterbed, rips out the frame, puts in a standard good old-fashioned king-sized bed with springs and all. 
The next morning, he wakes up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he is once again sitting in a puddle of water. Right about that time, he looks up at his ceiling, notices a drop of water coming out from the sheet rock, and lo and behold, it was not the water bed that he had a problem with. It was a leaky toilet up in the second floor of his house. And all the time and all the work and all the struggle and all the effort that he went through to fix the waterbed, he didn't realize that was not the main problem he had. The main problem that he had was a, a leaky faucet or a leaky toilet up in the second floor of his house. And I fear that oftentimes to the last eight or nine months, my heart, and I think if you'll, honest, you'll be honest, you'll agree with me as well this morning, uh, we've gone through a lot of headaches and a lot of labor, and if you're not careful, we'll get sidetracked and concerned with the wrong concerns. Let's be honest this morning. There's been a lot of things over the last eight or nine months that have been concerning. We've had natural disasters. We've had social disasters, political disasters. We're still in one right now. And we've had all of these things that have been concerning come to us in life. And I'm not, listen, I'm not knocking off on them things. They're real, okay? They've been real concerns. But if you're not careful, you'll get distracted by those concerns and leave out the main concerns. It's what we're reading about Peter here in John chapter number 21. Peter's showing us some things in his life that he was concerned about, and Christ is about to help him reconsider some of the concerns that he has. Now, I'm going to take my time this morning, all right? I hope, look, we missed last Sunday, so you ought to be glad that we're here again. And if we go over a little bit, just be honest uh, uh, and be, uh, be happy about it, all right? Let's appreciate the opportunity to be back in God's house. I want you to see what's happening here. Christ has risen from the dead. One of the last things that Peter did in the presence of Christ was he denied him three times. Christ has appeared to them twice since then, and both times Christ has not brought up to Peter his denial of him. And now yet here he is in his private conversation. Christ begins speaking to Peter, and he begins putting Peter on his heels, asking him a very tough question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Ask him three times. The Bible says in verse number 17 that Peter was grieved. Peter's worried, Peter's bothered, because evidently and obviously, Peter's thinking about his past. He's thinking about the denial of Christ three times, he denied him three times, and now he's being asked three times, do you love me? So we can tell Peter's concerned about his past and his past failures. A few minutes later, he's going to ask a question in verse number 21 about John. He says, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Now we see Peter concerned about what John's going to do for God. Hey, what's this guy going to do? He's concerned about the others that are sitting there or standing there. And then we see Jesus telling Peter in verse number 18 and verse number 19 that he's going to die. He's going to die a violent death. They're going to take him. They're going to lead him somewhere he would not go or want to go. The Bible's clear in verse 19. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. So watch this. We see Peter... He's concerned about his past, his denial of Christ. We see him concerned about John in his present, and he's concerned about his death in the future. Now, this should be something familiar to all of us this morning because I believe all of us are plagued by these three concerns. Oftentimes in our life, we are concerned about our past, we're concerned about others in our present, and we're concerned about the uncertainty of our future. I read an interesting stat line. It said this, for those who are professional counselors, they did a survey of them about what people come to them about. And here was the numbers as they broke down in categories. 40% of people's concerns are about things that never happen. 
40% of things that your average person who's worried or burdened or bothered by something, 40% of those things are things that never happen. 30% of them were concerned about things that have already happened. 18% or 12% of those were concerned about things in the lives of others. And only 18% of those were concerned about things that were actually real and present struggles. Out of 100%, only 18% of the struggles and worries and the concerns the average person had were something that was really something to be concerned about. 82% of the things they were concerned about were things that were never going to happen, things that had already happened, or things that were other people's business. And I think we get to a place where we realize we've got to reconsider the things we're concerned about. Is that not what Paul did when he spoke to the men of Athens? What did he tell them? He says, I, I've discerned walking through Mars Hill with all of the statues that are there. He says that you're altogether too superstitious. He says, you're concerned about this God and concerned about this God and concerned about this God and you're concerned about this God and you're too concerned with the things that don't matter and you're not concerned enough with the things that do matter. You know what Paul was doing? He was trying to get them to reconsider their concerns. Now, I'm not saying this morning that what Peter was concerned about wasn't a real and legitimate concern, but if you're not careful this morning, you'll get sidetracked just like the men of Athens and just like Peter, and you'll be overly concerned with things that are not really going to matter, and you're going to be under-concerned with the things that should matter. Can I tell you this morning, if you're not careful, you'll get sidetracked by the temporal concerns and you'll overlook the eternal concerns. And I want you to notice what Christ's response was before we get into the message today. When he asked about John, he says, what's this guy going to do? Notice what Jesus told him in verse 22. Christ's, uh, Christ's response to this is very pointed. Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? What is that to thee? Uh, I mean, can I tell you, I know what it feels like to be convicted by the invisible Holy Spirit. Can you imagine being convicted by the very present Christ when he looks at Peter and says, what's it to you? You're worried about John, and you're concerned about John and what John's going to do. Listen, that's not your concern. He's telling Peter, look, you're concerned about something that's not your concern. What's it to you? I remember my dad used to tell me that when I was a kid uh, in a nice, playful way. Dad would take one of my donuts, you know, the little packs of the powdered ones that you get the sugar all over your face. Oh, I used to love those. I still do. I love them a little too much. So I have to stay away from those. Amen. My dad would take one and I would say, hey, did you take one of my donuts? My dad would say, yeah, what's it to you? You know, dads can do that now. Some of you young dads don't know that because you live in a politically correct world, but you can say that to your kids and get away with it. As far as I know, that's not illegal yet. Jesus was saying, what's it to you? That's not your concern. Jesus is trying to help him reconsider his concerns, and he's saying, listen, you're concerned about the wrong things. You shouldn't be concerned about what John's going to do. There are some things you should be concerned about. And in John chapter 21, he shows him the things that he needs to be concerned with. Now, folks, I believe this morning there's some legitimate concerns in our world today. There's some things that are on our heart, things that worry us, distract us. There's some things that we're burdened about today. But be careful being overly concerned with things that are not your concern. Aren't you glad that there's a lot of things, listen, in our life, most things in our life, those are God's concerns? God's going to look out after a lot of things that I can do nothing about. 
We're concerned about things we don't have a part or a hand in. And Jesus says to us, as he did Peter, what's it to you? Hey, that's not your concern. But there are some things you need to be concerned about. And in John 21, in three simple statements, Christ shows Peter the things he should be concerned about, and he helps him reconsider his concerns. And that's the message I want to share with you today. My heart's very full. This message has been on my heart for about three weeks, and the Lord has not allowed us to preach it, and then he let us know yesterday this is exactly what he wanted. And this morning, I want to help you to reconsider your concerns a little bit. I'm not saying don't be worried. I'm not saying don't be bothered by some things, but I'm saying there are some things that you should be concerned about. And by the way, you're going to stand before God and give an account for the things you should have been concerned about, not the things that you were. So let's look if we could. In John 21, we see the first thing over in verse 15. And it comes in the form of a question. Peter had failed Christ three times, and now Christ is asking him three questions. Now, what I love about this is Christ is not trying to rub Peter's face in his mistakes. He's not trying to rub Peter's face in what he failed Christ on. He actually wants Peter to to profit from his mistakes. Aren't you glad that God can help us take our mistakes and learn from them? He's trying to help Peter learn from that. In verse number 15, he says, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He says, Peter, do you love me? What a simple question. Do you love me? But Christ is showing Peter something here. The Bible finally says at the end of the third time, in verse 17, that Peter was grieved. You see, finally, Peter gets the point. He's finally concerned about the thing he should have been concerned about when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first thing this morning I want you to notice that God wants us to be concerned about is we should be concerned with loving Christ. We should be concerned with loving Christ. Now listen to me. Don't tune me out. This is vitally important in your Christian life. Can I tell you the reason most of us quit on Christ is because we get more concerned with life than we are in love with Christ. Listen close. The reason we quit on God and we give up on God, and the reason we walk out on church and turn away from God's word, the reason that we quit on him is because we get more concerned with life than we are with loving Christ. So how do you know that? The Bible says that Demas forsook Paul having loved this present world. You see, it was a matter of love. Can I tell you what your feet are going to do this morning? Your feet are going to follow after that which you love. That's what Demas did. Demas gave up on God. He quit on Paul and he quit on ministry. Why? Because he loved one thing more than the other. And I want you to understand something. The one thing that will keep you following Christ, the one thing that will keep you serving him, the one thing that will keep you in this book, the one thing that will keep you in church, when everything else fails, simply is your love for Christ. If you love him enough, you'll stick with him. So how do you know that? The Bible says in John 14, 15, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Notice that a very important word, keep. He says, hey, if you love me like you're supposed to love me, you'll keep what you're supposed to keep. But oftentimes we don't keep his word. Oftentimes we don't keep faithful. Oftentimes we don't stay obedient. And can I tell you what the root cause of it is? We don't love him like we should love him. Christ is giving Peter the most important lesson first. He says, Peter, listen to me. You failed me before. And do you know why Peter failed? 
because he was more concerned about the circumstances that night in the Garden of Gethsemane than he was with loving Christ. Because if he'd loved Christ the way he would have, should have loved Christ, he'd have stuck with him. But his love for Christ wasn't what it should have been. He said, hey, Brother Jeremiah, that's not politically correct. It's truth. It's truth. He said, well, how do you know Peter didn't love Christ the way he should have? Notice what he says in verse 15. Let's just go straight to the word. Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Now watch, he didn't say you don't love me at all. He says, lovest thou me more than these? More. Notice, now, I've read about every commentary I could on this throughout many years of ministry, and some think he's talking about the fish. Some think he's talking about the other disciples. He didn't spell it out as clearly enough for me to see it, so I'm going to say it could have been either one. But notice he's comparing He says, do you love me more? He says, Peter, listen, if you want to move on from this disaster of your denial when I was in the garden, if you want to move on and stay faithful to me, you're going to have to find out if you love me more. He said, more than what? More than any circumstance you're going to face. You've got to love him more than your fear of going and sharing Christ with somebody. You've got to love him more than being rejected. I hate being rejected. That was the thing that scared me most, my dear wife, who's watching from home this morning with our daughter. Uh, she knows why well, I was just so scared to death when I went down to ask her if she would marry me. Why? Because, man, it would have hurt my feelings if she just said no. I hate being rejected. The other day I was out knocking doors, inviting people to church, and knocked on this door and invited this dear lady, and she said no. I said, listen, could I at least leave this gospel track with you? She said no. Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I don't like being rejected. And you know what rejection will make you want to do? Quit. Give up. You don't want to hear the gospel? Fine. But can I tell you what will keep you going? Your love for Christ. you got to love Christ more than you like rejection. You say, well, I don't like rejection. Hey, if you love Christ more, more's the key word. You'll keep going and you won't quit. He says, Peter, reconsider this morning what you're concerned about. You need to be concerned about loving me. Finally, after three times, verse 17, the Bible says Peter was grieved. Peter got it. You see, our love for Christ today has got to be greater than any of the concerns of life. Can I tell you, if your love for Christ is what it should be, I'll not offend you bad enough that you'll quit church. If you love Christ the way you ought to love him. That preacher just talks too much and goes too long, and that preacher tells the truth, God forbid. I just don't like hearing it. Watch this. If you love Christ the way you ought to love him, I couldn't run you off, neither could anybody in this church run you off. It's a shame that we, listen, it's a shame that our feelings about others matter more than our love for Christ. If we love Christ like we should love Christ, there's not a person in this room that could drag you out of this building. Why? Because I love him more than my feelings getting hurt. I'm going to read something for you in Matthew 22. You can turn there if you want, and I want you to see this. Stick with me. I'm going to give you the first point. It'll be long. The second two will be short, all right? Matthew 22. I want you to see something. Oh, my goodness, this hit home with me. Verse 36, the Bible says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Sadducees asked Christ, what what is the greatest commandment? What's the great commandment? He says, you got to love God. With all your heart. Notice that. It's not good enough just to love him. You've got to love him with all. That's that more part. Love God 
and love people. So notice, if you will, it's revolving around our love. Notice what he says at the end in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law. All the law. Listen, we're talking about the Old Testament. All the law and the prophets, they all hang on our love for God and our love for people. If you love God the way you're supposed to love God and you love people the way you're supposed to love people, listen, you can handle the rest that come behind it. But if you don't love God the way you should love God, can I tell you something? Watch this. You can forget being faithful to God. You can forget being obedient to God. You can forget being bold for God. If you don't love him like you're supposed to love him, you're not going to follow him the way you're supposed to follow him. He said, that's why you've got to love him the way you're supposed to love him. And if you love God the way you're supposed to love God and you love people the way you're supposed to love people, the rest of the commandments will follow. It's hard to steal from somebody you love. It's hard to bear false witness against somebody that you love. It's hard to put something in front or in the place of someone you love. You see, it all revolves around our love for God. You know, you look at the law and the prophets. It's the do's and don'ts, if you will. And oftentimes, that's what we see them as. It's do's and don'ts. But I'll tell you this. There's no way you could keep the do's and the don'ts without loving Christ. There's no way. That's why he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In the back of my door, in my bedroom, I should have took a picture of it. I'll show it to you. I have a screw. On the back of that door is this little screw that I hang my hoodie on. I don't know. I used to watch Mr. Rogers. When he got home, he'd change his clothes and he'd put on that little sweater. I guess I'm, I'm getting to that place in my life where just about any time of the year, I get home, I get a shower, put on my sweatpants and my T-shirt, and I put on this hoodie and I zip it up. It's just, it's just what I do. I wear it all times of the year. You come in my house, I'll be studying the Bible early in the morning, I have my hood on. I don't know why. I just, this is what I've always done. The other day, I went to hang my hoodie up, open the door, put it in the spot, let go of it, and the hoodie hit the floor. I bent back down, picked up the hoodie, grabbed it, put it back where it goes, let go, hit the floor. And I looked and laying there on the floor was the screw that I normally hang my hoodie on. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter how many times I tried it, no matter how much work I put into it, the hoodie was not going to stay on the door. All of my work was in vain. Why? There was nothing to hang it on. Stick with me. All of your effort, all of the time, all of your repetitive spirituality, listen, is going to be in vain if you don't love God like you're supposed to love God. Why? Because everything hangs on that. You've got nothing to hang your faithfulness on or nothing to hang your obedience on if you don't love Christ like you're supposed to love Christ. Oh, how I was convicted when I was studying this out, thinking when my daughter leaves my home, what do I want her to be like? I hope she's smart. I hope she's a little bit athletic. I know she's pretty because she's my child. But man, as I was setting this out, this crazy world we're living in, I've got to make sure that when she leaves my house, she loves Christ. Because everything's going to hang on that. What did he say? On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. If I wanted to do all the other commandments and be faithful and be obedient and be bold and courageous for Christ, she's got to love him. If she don't love him like she's supposed to love him, look, she don't stand a chance. She can keep trying to hang that hoodie and hang that hoodie and hang that hoodie. If she doesn't love Christ, it's all in vain. And she's not going to accomplish the will of God for her life. As I read that word in Matthew 22, where he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
I thought, what an interesting word that he used the word hang. You know me, I love words. So I went and started looking up every time that word was mentioned in Scripture. Acts chapter number 5, I'm going to read one of them for you. Acts chapter number 5, if you look down, verse 30, the Bible says this. Peter's preaching to the Sanhedrin. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. About 11.30 last night, this hits me in the face. Christ was hanged on a tree. You say, well, what hung him there? What kept him there? Well, he had these nails through his hands and nails through his feet. You honestly think that's what hung him there. Can I tell you what kept him on the cross? Can I tell you what kept him there when he was reviled? Can I tell you what kept him there when he was scourged? And what kept him there? Can I tell you why he hung in there? Well, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. He hung in there because he loved me. He hung in there and he took the shame. He hung in there and he took the pain. He hung in there and took it all. Why? Because he loved me. And can I tell you why you'll hang in there? The only thing that'll keep you hanging in there for the cause of Christ, if you love him like you're supposed to love him. There's no way you're going to hang in there. What kept Christ on the cross was not the nails. It was his love for me and it was his love for you. And I'll tell you, the only thing that's going to keep you in the fight for him is your love for him. I'll read you a quote real quick by a missionary Hudson Taylor to China. He asked some young people who thought they wanted to go to the mission field why they should go and why he should get behind them in their work. And one said this, because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Another says, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. And Hudson Taylor says, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, in times of trial, in times of tribulation, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely, the love of Christ. You know, it's good to have a burden and be concerned about other people, and that'll get you going, and that'll get you going far. But sooner or later, when you get pushed back, and you get persecuted, and you get reviled, the only thing that's going to keep you hanging in there for the cause of Christ is your love for him. And this morning, maybe we should reconsider our concerns a little bit. Instead of being concerned about our past and being concerned about what's going on in the world, maybe this morning we should just get back and be concerned about our love for Christ. Listen, your love for Christ will get you through whatever the rest of your life has to hold. If you just love him like you're supposed to love him. So how do you know? Well, I see what Christ went through for me, and it was all because of his love. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, it was the love of Christ that constrained him. Paul says, it's the love of Christ that holds me in my place. It's the love of Christ that keeps me within my boundaries. It's the love of Christ. Oh, this morning, if, if the people of God, just of Central Baptist Church, if we love Christ like we're supposed to love Christ, can I tell you something? We don't have to fear what's coming our way because that alone will hold us in our place. So Christ asks a question in verse 22 real quickly. He says, what is that to thee? What is that to thee? He's trying to get Peter to be concerned with how much he loves him. And I assure you, if we love him like we should love him, you'll live for him like you're supposed to live for him because you love him more than any of the circumstances or concerns of life. The second thing, real quickly, look down to verse 19. He tells Peter in verse 18, if you will, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. So when you were young, you went and did what you like. You did what you wanted, you went where you wanted. 
But notice what he says, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. He says, Peter, there's a time coming in your life where you're going to be taken. You know, they, would be, they would be bound, and they would carry him to a place that he would not want to go. History tells us Peter would be crucified. But here's what I want you to see. It was not his death that Christ wanted him to be concerned with. Verse 19 says, this spake he signifying by what death he should, watch this, glorify God. You see, Christ viewed life and Christ viewed death the way that we should. We should view our life and even view our death as another opportunity to glorify God. You know, that's what we ought to be concerned with this morning. In this life and even in our death, we should be concerned, number two, be concerned with glorifying God. Regardless of the circumstances, Peter's concern should have been, no matter what's coming my way and no matter how I leave this world, that I'm going to glorify God in it. And oh, if we would just this morning be concerned about that. The next time another catastrophe or calamity comes to America, who knows what's coming around the bend? God forbid 2021 is worse than 2020. I hope not. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. I hope not. But even if it is, can I tell you what we should be concerned about? We should be concerned about, oh, my life's not going to be what, it should, what I want it to be, or I may even lose my life. Our concern should be, I want to glorify God in it. No matter what comes my way, how difficult or how unaccommodating, I just want to glorify God. Philippians chapter 1, Paul put it this way, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed, I'm not worried, I'm not concerned. Why? Because my number one concern is how do I glorify God? Whether it's through my life or through my death, I just want to glorify God. You know what glorify God means? It means shine the light on him. That's what it means. Shine the light on him. I just want to point to him. No matter what comes my way, good times, bad times, blessing, times of want, I just want to glorify God. Oh, if that was our concern, we'd never gripe about our circumstances. Why? Because griping does not glorify God. I think a lot of people think that's their spiritual gift. It's not. I don't know who told you that, but it's not. Several years ago, my wife and I first got married. Katrina hit three weeks after our wedding. How exciting that was. Three weeks without power, right into your honeymoon. And I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, when things get back to normal, you know, we'll settle down. Fifteen years later, I'm still telling her that. When things get back to normal, they're not going to get back to normal. But I noticed something amazing. Through all these tree crews that were coming in, cutting up the trees that were left by Katrina. We're headed down Highway 42 on our way to Prentice to try to find some gasoline. And over to the left, there were some friends of ours' house, big pine trees blown down. Guys had cut the pine trees down. But here's what they did. I'm sure, I think they probably did around here as well. They took the stumps and they cut a cross in the stump with their chainsaw. And we get to notice, as we drove around Jeff Davis County, we'd see a stump and cut into the stump that was left was a cross. And lo and behold, as we drove around, we saw destruction, destruction, destruction. I mean, it was just sad. Houses knocked down, trees in people's houses, trees on people's cars. With all of the bad things going on, all of a sudden, I saw in this stump a cross. And it changed my perspective. There was somebody who took something that was bad and carved something good out of it. And I thought to myself, if only I did that, 
when bad things come my way. Instead of griping and complaining about this tree that's on my car, why don't I take that tree and cut a cross into it? Brilliant! I'm glad there's some good Christians in this world who got it figured out because he took what was something bad and destructive and he took it as an opportunity to glorify God. Do you know, by the way, that's why we are here as Christians? What does the Bible say in Matthew 5? Let your light so shine before men that they may see He's got to see something. I, mean, I wonder how often in our life, how much in the past eight months have people seen Christ and how you've responded to these circumstances? Have you been concerned about, oh my goodness, the economy and the election and all the virus and all this and the mask and all that and the other. We've been so concerned with those things, we haven't been concerned enough with we're supposed to glorify God. In spite of the earthly concerns, I have eternal concerns to glorify God. The Bible says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Show them something. Somebody had enough fortitude to take that stump and carve a cross into it. And oh, it made me think of my Savior. It made me think that in the midst of all that's going on bad, there's still a God that's good. Why? Because somebody took the time to glorify God. I read an interesting story just this past week that I have never heard before. I've heard a lot of preaching illustrations. I've never heard this one. The composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, as he would sit down to pen a piece of music, oftentimes he would put two J's at the top of his paper. I'll show you a picture of one of the guys. You have the one with the two J's. If you look at the top left of that page, you'll see two J's. This is one of his original compositions. For a while, no one really knew exactly what the two J's stood for. And at the end of his compositions, oftentimes he would put three letters. We have that picture, guys. I'll show you right quick. He would put S-D-G or Soli Deo Gloria. People try to, were asking him, why do you put two J's at the top and S-G-D toward the end? Well, the J and the J mean Jesu Yuva. It means Jesus' help. As he sat down to write, he's about to compose something, and he says, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. And at the very end, he would put S-D-G or solely Deo Gloria, which meant to God's glory alone. At the very end, at the end of what he had composed, he says, to God's glory alone. Oh, my goodness, if we just woke up every morning and put a J-J in the morning, perhaps we would have an SDG at the end. But shouldn't that be our desire? Do you know that should be your concern every day of the week? And at the end of what you've composed on that day, you can say, to God's glory alone. I live this day to God's glory. I responded to criticism with, to God's glory. I took a little bit of persecution to God's glory. I went through a tough time to God's glory. I endured this virus, and I wore a mask to God's glory. You can do it. It's hard. But you see, that's why we're here. This world needs to see a cross in the midst of this hurricane. This world needs to see Christ in the midst of our calamity. And yet there's too many of us who are so wrapped up with the concerns of this life to forget we have a number one concern, to love Christ. Number two, to glorify God. It says, Peter, you're going to die a death. History tells us he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way Christ was. And even in his death, he glorified God. Can I tell you that adversity is not an opportunity to gripe? 
It's an opportunity to glorify. All right? Adversity, difficulty, calamity, crisis. It's not an opportunity to gripe. It's not an opportunity to complain. It's an opportunity to glorify God. You get to point to God in your calamity. And oh, how it stands out. That cross in that yard that was carved in that stump, it just jumped out at me. All of a sudden, I couldn't see the trees down anymore. All of a sudden, I didn't notice the house that was tore up. I just saw this cross and how it stood out in the midst of all of that. And oh, if we just had some Christians this morning. They were concerned about glorifying God. Oh, how you'd stand out. Oh, how you'd give glory to God and you'd point to him in the midst of all that we're going through. At the end of Bach's career, he said this, all music should have no other end and aim than to glorify God. He said that should be the end of it all. And this morning, let's be concerned at the end of our speech, our actions, everything we do, we are here to glorify God. I'm going to hurry, but hear me out. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. You know what trials are? They're concerning. Verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Now listen close. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. I told my daughter this the other day. I forget what it was all about, but I used a term that we use often. Sometimes you've got to take it on the chin. Sometimes you've got to take it on the chin. Sometimes you have a circumstance where you're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be very comfortable. Maybe it's a criticism. Maybe you messed up. You goofed up. And you don't want to, have to, you don't want to face it. But sooner or later, you just got to face it and take it on the chin, don't you? You know, sometimes for the cause of Christ, we ought to be willing to take it on the chin. I'm willing to take it. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take it on the chin. I'm going to endure it. Why? Because the Bible says... On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. You see, I'm more concerned about glorifying God than having my say. And oh, sometimes it's so hard to shut up. There's several times throughout this week, I've had to close my mouth, bite my tongue. Some people, I think they believe it's God's gift to this world to keep the preacher humble. And they help you to stay humble. And sure enough, it does help. You're like, Gosh, that hurt. I needed to hear that today. That was an encouragement to me. I really appreciate that. Not really. I'm being sarcastic, okay? And oh, you'd have just the right thing to say back to them. But you know that when you open your mouth, you're not going to be glorifying God. You're going to be glorifying this stuff, the flesh. And you have to decide, am I more concerned with glorifying God or am I more concerned with glorifying self? Number two, Peter had to be more concerned with glorifying God. I believe this morning if we're more concerned with glorifying God than griping about your grief, people will see Christ. People will see Christ. Take as an opportunity, glorify God. And then number three, look down if you will. Peter says in verse 21, Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Christ finally sums up 
what Peter needs to be concerned about. Number one, be concerned about loving Christ. I'm going to be concerned about loving Christ. That's my number one concern. More than concerned about the troubles and trials. Listen, I'm not saying don't be up to date. I'm not saying don't be active. I'm not saying don't do your part. But when you've done your part, be sure, listen, that you love Christ. Number two, that you glorify God. And finally, notice what he says at the end of verse 22. Follow thou me. The final thing that Peter should have been concerned with was be concerned with following the Savior. Following the Savior. Peter fell prey to probably one of the most powerful concerns. And oh, I'm going to confess to you that it's one of mine. Peter fell prey to the concern of others. What about them? When Jesus told him, notice in verse 19, notice the two words at the end of verse 19. Notice what Jesus says, follow me. Verse 20, what a classic example of our humanity. Then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple. Jesus looks at Peter. They just finished a nice meal and he says, Peter, follow me. I see Peter standing up to follow Christ and all of a sudden he does this. Because what did it say? The Bible says, then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple. He looks over and he sees John. How often is that the case for you and I? We set out to follow Christ. And one of the things that derail us quicker than anything is we start noticing others. And watch what Jesus' comeback was to him in verse 22. He adds a word this time. In 19, he says, follow me. In 22, he says, follow thou me. He says, Peter, don't worry about John. What did I tell you? That word thou, it means you. I told you to follow me. Peter, you've got distracted. You've got concerned about what John's going to do. And can I tell you something? It's hard to follow Christ when you start focusing in on other things. It's interesting when you see this. Watch the wording. The Bible says, verse number 19, or verse number 20, then Peter turning about seeth the disciple. Notice what he's doing. He's turning. His direction has changed. He's no longer following Christ because he's concerned about John. If you get your eyes off of Christ and you quit following Christ, watch this. It's going to be because you got your eyes on other things and other people. Jesus said in verse number 22, what is that to thee? Remember this this morning. It's your attention that reveals your affections, not your intentions. Right? It's your attention. It's what you give your attention to that reveals your affections, not your intentions. Look, if we were graded on intentions this morning, I'd be a great husband. I would have taken the garbage out every time. I heard my wife taking it out this morning while I was studying. It just piles up. We're trashy people. I mean, who would have thought a family of three would have so much garbage? We need to recycle or compost or something. I mean, we're filling up landfills by ourselves. If I was graded on my intentions, I'd be a great husband and a great Christian, a great pastor and a great friend. But we're not graded on our intentions. You know what we're graded on? Our attention. Notice where Peter's attention is in verse 20. The Bible says he turned about. He has left off from following Christ. Why? Because his eyes were on John. And I assure you this this morning, as long as your eyes are on John, your eyes are off Christ. You've been distracted, concerned with, hey, what about them? What are they going to do? What about, hey, they hurt my feelings. Christ says, what's it to you? Hey, they were mean to me. What's it to you? What did I tell you? He said in verse 22, he repeats it. Follow thou me. You know, we have this thing on social media. It's called followers. Uh, my wife has social media. I have social media. Uh, I follow some people. My wife follows a lot of people on Pinterest. 
And she's making all these holiday, you know, Christmas decorations and cookies and all of that. Here's what's interesting. You can tell who she follows. Why? Because those things start to be produced in our home. Recipes, cookies. Sometimes be like, who are you following? You know what I mean? Sometimes you're like, you need to keep following that person. Why? Because their cookies are great. Man, that's beautiful. The decor is great. You can tell who she's following. Why? Because it starts to reveal itself in our home. And Peter could show you or illustrates to us who he's following. Why? Because it's revealing in his walk. The Bible says he had turned about to see that disciple. Finally, Jesus says to him, follow thou me. I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, figure me. He said, follow me. So what do you mean by that? You don't have to know everything about where you're going, what God wants you to do. You don't do the figuring. All you have to do is the following. Isn't that neat about following? When you're following somebody, you just have to go where they go. And as long as you go where they go, you're going to end up where they want you to end up. All you have to do is follow. You don't have to do the figuring. I'm thankful for that because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. All I have to do is follow. The Bible says we know his voice and we follow him. So what happens if the world falls apart? I think you should go to verse 22. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. What happens if we lose our country? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Do you know what? My concern should be loving Christ, glorifying God, and following my Savior. And if those are my concerns, I assure you, then all the other things are going to fall in place. Why? Because Matthew chapter 6 Verse 33, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteous, uh, and his righteous, and all these things shall be added. He said, Just make sure you put your concerns where they belong. And as long as you're concerned about the things you should be concerned about, I'll make sure everything else falls in place. So this morning, can I ask you a question? Do we need to reconsider our concerns? There's a lot of concerning things in our world right now. I get it. I get it. Politically, socially, I mean, it just seems one thing after another. But if you're not careful, you'll be over-concerned with the things that don't concern us. And you'll be under-concerned about the things that do matter. So why don't we allow God with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning to help us reconsider our concerns. He says, Peter, you're concerned about your past, as we should be. But you don't have to worry about that again if you love me like you're supposed to love me. He says, Peter, you're going to die, but that's not your concern. Your concern should be how you die. That you glorify God on your way out. And he says, Peter, look, don't be concerned about what other people are doing. What is that to thee? What's it to you? That's none of your business. That's none of your concern. That's my concern. He said, just be concerned with following me. This morning, I just pray we'll allow God to help us reconsider our concerns a little bit. Why? Because if we love him like we love him, we'll go through whatever we need to go through. And if we glorify him the way we're supposed to glorify him, this world will see Christ in us and through us even in the midst of calamity. And if we'll just keep following him, we'll get to where he's leading us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example that you give us in your word of Peter and, Lord, how I can relate to Peter so often in times where we have great desire, but oftentimes it doesn't come to much because our concerns are misplaced. And, Lord, I pray this morning you'd help me. Lord, you've helped me so much uh, in the preparation of this to reconsider the things I'm worried about and things that burden me and concern me. And, Father, I pray that at the top of my list and the list of everyone here today, that we be concerned about do we love you the way we're supposed to love you? 
If we do, Father, then we're going to live for you the way we're supposed to live for you. Father, do we glorify you? Are we concerned about glorifying you in the midst of our calamity? Or are we just worried about the calamity? Or are we more concerned about what others are doing rather than just doing what we know to do and follow you? Help us, Father. Show us today how we need to reconsider some things. That we might leave this place, Lord, being and doing what you've left us here to do, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, the altar's open this morning. What are you concerned about? What are you genuinely concerned about this morning? What worries you? What bothers you? Can I ask you, where on that list is loving Christ? I left from preparing this message so convicted, asking my Father to help me love my Savior more. I don't know what's around the corner, but if I love him like I'm supposed to love him, I'll follow him like I'm supposed to follow him. I'll leave behind whatever he tells me to leave behind. I'll let go of whatever he says let go of. If I love him. For God so loved the world that he gave. Look what he did because he loved. Look what he went through because he loved. He endured the cross, despised the shame. Why? Because he loved us. Oh, what we could do for him. What we could endure for him if we just loved him like we're supposed to love him. Can I ask you this morning, how concerned are you about glorifying God? Could we, as Paul says, in my life or in my death, I'm going to glorify God. In this trial, I'm going to glorify God. In the inconveniences, I'm going to glorify God. In the disagreements, I'm going to glorify God. In the grief, the pain, I'm going to glorify God. Christ didn't look at death as death. He looked at death as an opportunity to glorify God. And Peter did just that. Maybe this morning... You're not what you ought to be. You're not following the way you should because you're concerned with others. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? You're too concerned with John. What's that to you? Worry about Peter. Follow thou me. I told you to follow me. What about the politicians? And what about what's going on in our world? Follow thou me. No turning back. Sooner or later, what we follow is going to be evident in our life. It's going to come out. Let's have one more verse before we close. No turning back. World behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Amen. I do appreciate you being here and those of you that are watching, tuning in this morning. I honestly believe that if just a few of us would get our concerns where they need to be, 
Not only will we see a difference in our life, we see a difference in the lives of those that God has placed around us. There's people in your life, there's people in your circle, your community, at your work or at your school who need to see a cross in the midst of their hurricane. All they see right now is all the trees that are down and the destruction, the division, the problems. And oh, if somebody just had the mindset to be more concerned with glorifying God than concerned about the circumstances they're living in, maybe they would see Christ. And it's my prayer that our church will be just that. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to have visitors here, a lot of people whose doors have been knocked on, a lot of people who are looking, that are searching, and are needing. And I pray when they come to this place, they find what they're looking for. And they get to be around people who've got their concerns where they need to be. We're concerned about loving God, loving people, glorifying God, and we're just going to follow him. And I assure you, a lot of stuff would work itself out if we were just concerned about those things this morning. Let's not forget about our, our, our offering, our Thanksgiving offering for our school. I'm excited about all the things we're going to be able to do for them uh, through that offering. Pray about it. We'll leave the, uh, leave the app up on the app, the button on the app, maybe for a day or so. And uh, Lord willing, see you back here tonight, 5 o'clock. Don't forget, look, let's take all safety precautions. Uh, our, our kind of our, our rule right now is we've been in contact for within, within the last 14 days. Somebody who's had it, just lay out a little while. That way we keep everybody safe and uh, get to come back here next Sunday. Amen. Just a few quick announcements before you leave. Um, the annual Christmas food uh, box drive for the needy in our church continues. Plastic bins are set up in the main lobby and the missions wing lobby for your donations. And the last chance to donate is Sunday, December 13th. And we appreciate everybody that's given to that. And then tonight after service, we look for any uh, men, women, and teenage volunteers uh, that can stay after to decorate the auditorium for Christmas. And if you can do that, uh, please help out with that. And then uh, we will have the ladies' Bible study tomorrow night in the home builder's room. I believe that is at 6.30. And uh, I'm not sure about the live streaming for that. I'll have some more announcements on that too, uh, tonight. And then uh, it's raining outside pretty good. And so I know normally we've been picking our kids uh, up over here. I'm going to let you pick them up over, over by the door, by the piano afterwards. So if we can keep that aisleway clear for uh, parents that are picking up their children. And then as we dismiss this uh, morning, uh, let's try not to crowd into the main lobby or the missions wing lobby. Don't want to get too many people uh, in those small spaces. And um, I know he's mentioned it several times. And, and we're not certainly not trying to be harsh about it, just trying to be wise about it and asking you to use the same wisdom that... You know, if you come in contact with someone, uh, we have the live stream available, and that's the wise thing to do. Um, and you know that you've been in contact with someone that's had the virus. And so, um, so just for the uh, health and safety of the rest of our church people, and especially as we move through uh, to the holidays, uh, Christmas time and such, we want to have those. Uh, wanna, we want to come and hear the choir sing. They've been practicing. And uh, want to have our, uh, our candlelight, uh, uh, excuse me, Lord's Supper and, and all those things. And so uh, do use some caution. And uh, we look forward to seeing those of you tonight. All right, we'll close in singing All Hail King Jesus. Sing it together now. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. And for all eternity, I'm going to praise Him, and forevermore I will reign with Him.